You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. I'm going to just teach for a few minutes. And uh, we're going to let the Spirit move as He wants. And I want you to pay very close attention to what we're going to teach tonight. You didn't come here to... To read your Bible, you came here to listen, right? You didn't come here to pray, you came here to listen. We're going to pray, but you came to listen to what I have to say uh, because uh, the Spirit's going to speak. You know, it's funny, sometimes in service you see people reading their Bibles. And I think to myself, you had all week to read your Bible. You're going to read the Bible in church. (laughs) Amen. Revelation 20, verse 11. This is what it says. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both small and great, standing before God's throne. Someone say, God's throne. throne. All right. And the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done. As recorded in the books, I want to make this statement tonight. Somebody is watching your life. Your life is being watched right now. And as a pastor, I get to preach good messages. And as a pastor, sometimes I have to come down the line and just tell you everything that's in the Word of God. And I want you to know tonight, everything you've done in your life is being recorded the sea gave up its dead and death in the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds write this down if you're taking notes your deeds are important not just to see we have this idea that we can, we're living in a society where we pick and choose what deeds we want people to see. That is what social media is. I want you to see this part of my life, but I don't want you to see that part of my life. You put your good things up, but you save your bad things for the closet. And the Word of God says that God is recording everything that you do, not just your Instagram highlights. Amen, somebody. I pray that the Spirit of God put that in your heart tonight. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I want to talk to you tonight, and not just tonight, but next week for sure, and maybe the week after that, about hell it's still something to think about and the lord put that in my heart on saturday and it's been stirring in my heart all week and it's not just something hell is i could preach this to you i could go get a systematic theology book and preach to you the different points and aspects of what the word of god has to say about hell but i don't want it just to be a teaching on hell tonight I pray in the name of Jesus for every single one of you that is here that the reality of hell become a reality in your own heart, not because it's I believe somewhere you're going to end up, but because there's a lot of people that are being thrown into the lake of 
hell every single day. And I'll tell you this right now. I think back to the people that were the first line soldiers that told me about Jesus so that I didn't have to go to hell. Do you remember where you were saved the first time you raised your hand and gave your heart to Jesus? Does anybody remember the moment you gave your heart to Jesus? Who remembers that moment? Raise your hand. I'm not talking, I mean the moment that you said, Lord, I need you, Jesus, save me. And you didn't, didn't know everything there was at that time. You had no idea what this whole gospel was about, but you knew that if something were to happen to you, you would not end up in hell. Do you remember that moment? I thank God for the pastor when I was 1996 that happened to me, the pastor that stood up and preached the word of God to me. And I remember the, day, the weekend after that, the week after that, he took us to a cemetery. It was a youth service, and he took us to a seminary, a, a, not a seminary, a cemetery, and he preached the gospel in the cemetery, and he said, look at every single grave plot, and he said, these grave plots represented someone that lived a life just like yours, and look where they are now, and understand, you're going to be there one day, and what are you going to do with your life? My Lord, I was convicted, and from that point forward, the Holy Ghost came upon me, and I have had a understanding that that will be me one day if the Lord tarries his coming. And I better pay close attention to how I live and not just how I live, but I better warn people that they'll be there one day too. Amen. Hello, somebody. Amen. And so the reality of hell, when God gets a hold of your heart and he places the fact that there is a hell. See, it's one thing just to preach grace, but I'll tell you what grace is unable to do if you just preach grace. Grace in and of itself does not produce the same urgency in your life to share the gospel that the idea of hell produces. Mm -hmm. When you understand hell, that people are going to hell every day that don't know God, it produces in your life an urgency to go out and preach the gospel. You wake up in the morning, you have to share. When you have the urgency of hell in your life, when you see someone at the grocery store, you don't just walk past that person. If God tells you to talk to them, you talk to them because there may be two minutes from now they have a heart attack. You see somebody and you feel like you have to pray for that person. It could be your prayer that's the one little thread that they're hanging by that's burning quickly to keep them from falling into that place forever. So you say, I'm not going to pray for that person. It might be your prayer that God wants to use to get to that person. And if you don't have the understanding of hell, you will grow complacent in your life. Hello, somebody. And number two, the reality of hell keeps your life in a place where you live holy before God. You say, Pastor, are you, are you here to scare us? Uh, I'm not here to scare you. But I will tell you something. The Bible says it is a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. Amen. And I pray that we as believers do not live our Christianity without the element of trembling. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Do you know what that means? Working out our salvation with fear and trembling? That simply means that we're supposed to live in reverence of God. In obedience. Yes, Lord, I'll do. Now, I know He's a loving Father. But I'm going to show you just a couple of different sides of God. And I specifically picked out what Jesus had to say about hell so you can understand tonight that it is a very serious thing. Every revival 
And I'm not just talking about Holy Ghost filled services. I'm talking about moves of revival where people come and run to the altar to get saved. And people, the bars are cleared out. And the liquor clubs are cleared out. And the strip clubs are shut down. Those all were characterized by people that had a re-understanding of the seriousness of the infernals of an eternal hell. Amen, somebody. Aren't you thankful that God's word is full and complete? I'll tell you this. Being someone that's come up in a circle where you a lot of times hear a lot about grace, you a lot of hear about the family of God, you got to hear about the other side or it becomes this way. People like this. Every single person is called to be an evangelist. Come on, someone say amen to that. Why are some people evangelists and not other people evangelists? Because some people have the revelation of hell in their lives and other people don't think nothing about it. Write this down if you're taking notes. Are you here with me tonight? We must examine this because there is the lie of Satan that hell does not exist today. And I'll say this quickly. If Satan cannot get you to believe that hell doesn't exist, he'll try to get you to believe that hell is not eternal. In other words, the great lie of the enemy is that hell doesn't exist. And if you hold on to that and believe that hell doesn't exist, the devil will come along and lie and say that hell, well, it's not forever. And the Bible teaches both, number one, that hell exists, and the Bible teaches, number two, that hell is a place of not temporary punishment, eternal punishment. Hello, somebody. If you... A person, I'm going to say this quickly, a person, I'm going to get into some scripture, a person that experiences the following, number one, lacks in sharing the gospel, complacency in telling other people about Jesus, tolerance of sin in their lives, tolerance of compromise in their lives, unconcerned about people that don't know Jesus, and unconcerned about people or people groups that have not heard the gospel, not grieved by false religion and evil practices, unmoved by the news of non-Christians who have died, fond of entertainment that has to do with death, lazy about praying for the lost, and disinterested in missions and evangelism, those are people that are buying into the lie that either hell doesn't exist or hell is not forever. Hello, somebody. You say, well, I, I don't pray for the lost. Praying for the lost is a sign that you know people are going to hell. Showing up to prayer meeting is an urgency. I must pray because if I don't pray, God's not going to move. He expects me to move. I got to pray for the lost. Amen. Amen. I remember one time talking to a friend and he said, God burdened me for the lost and I wish he would never have done that. I said, why? He said, because when God burdened me for the lost, it ruined my life. Because the burden for the lost is so heavy. And people want a move of God, but they don't want to share the burden that God has for the people that are lost. God has a burden for people that are lost, and He's looking for people that will share in that burden. God, so you want me to bless you? Yes, God, bless me. Do you want to share in the burden that I have, knowing to see every people going to hell every day? No, no, I don't want to share in that burden, God. That's your burden. That's not my burden. And God say, if you want to be a people of prayer, help me share in the burden of people that are going to hell every day. Amen. Will you share in the burden? Amen. That's God's burden. 
If you want God's blessing, you've got to share in God's burden. Amen. Amen, somebody. And I will tell you, the anointing of God is when, I'll tell you, when you hook up to the anointing of God, it's not just getting healing power. Hooking up to the anointing of God first starts by you start feeling the way God feels about a certain thing. When God's getting ready to use you in healing, you start looking at healing the way God, sickness, the way God sees sickness. When God starts using you for deliverance, you start seeing addiction and bondage the way that God sees addiction and bondage. Hello, somebody. When God starts using you to save the lost, you start seeing where the lost are headed. They're going to hell. Amen. And when you approach a person that is going to hell and you have a concern and an urgency about you, that conviction that you have in your life will make a difference in that person's life. It's one thing to walk up to someone and say, have you ever heard the gospel? No, I never heard the gospel. Well, let me tell you about the gospel. And the person say, okay, that was a nice presentation. It's another thing when that person sees you and there's a look on you that says, this is urgent. Listen to what I have to say. It's more convincing. There's a look in your eye that is compassion and holy fear. Like you have been somewhere that you know and are trying to tell that person not to go there. Have you ever seen someone sharing the gospel that looks like they have been to hell and are telling you not to go there? Rather than just preaching it, well, I've learned about five points in the book. Number one, hell is for bad people. Number two, no, no, no. You can't, you can't have the look like you just sat in classroom and got taught about hell. You have to have that look like you've been before the throne of God. And he starts sharing his heart with you about the atrocities of a place that people are going to. Amen, somebody. Amen. Glory to God. We've got the young people saying amen. God will use out of the mouth of babes comes perfected praise. I want to say this quickly, and because on Thursday nights, you know, we, we, uh, we go a little deeper. So I want to share just a few things that are going on in society today. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This service is going to be unusual because you may start crying. But you let yourself cry. Don't, 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 don't hold back. Because you know what God will start happening to do? He'll start making you start feeling that morning. Let yourself cry. Because I can tell you one thing. The Lord told me to start preaching on hell. I said, God, I'll do it. When I first started preaching the gospel, I started preaching on hell. And I remember that I've seen a society now that is moving away. I'll tell you. I was someplace this week, out of town. And I was doing some things. But it was a very sinful city. And I asked the Lord about it. And you know what the Lord told me? He said, lost and dying humanity is getting lost and lost and more lost and more lost. And it's because the vanguard of America has been broken down. And the vanguard of America are its preachers. Preachers who have refused to talk about the truth. Amen. And I don't mean just teach the truth. I mean come before their congregation in their pulpit and preach with the fire and the Amen. conviction of the Holy Spirit Amen. that if we don't clean up our act, God will be forced to judge the people that He loves. Amen. Do you think God gets a kick out of judgment? 
Do you think any father gets a kick out of having to discipline the people that he, kids that he loves? But do you think that it's possible that people that defy God will be forced to be judged? And the preachers have got to preach the truth. Otherwise, society will become more wicked. Hello, somebody. Or after the after the service. Amen, somebody. So I want to just share a few things. Number one, there's a lie that is weaving its way into the body of Christ. And I want to say this quickly. We're going to do a class coming up on our Thursday nights, and it's going to be about false religion and false beliefs because the, Paul told Timothy that one of the responsibilities of a believer, and not just a believer but a minister, is to give heed and pay attention to doctrine and make sure that the doctrine doesn't get polluted. And one of the things that has made its way into the body of Christ is something called universalism. Write this down if you're taking notes. Universalism is the belief that everybody in the end will eventually be saved regardless of what they do. Can I give you some background about this? Well, who comes up with that? No, no, let me, uh, let me see. I'm about to tell you. Number one, you'd be surprised, Joey. You would be surprised how many people believe it to some extent. Number one, origin. 100, this is to answer your question, origin, 150 A.D. through 254 A.D., taught universalism. He was a father in the church. As a matter of fact, some of the things that origin taught were good. But his views were later condemned by followers and his minorities. Come on, someone say amen. For 1,600 years, nobody in the church hardly taught this until the 1800s where thinkers picked back up his beliefs and today there continues to be a growing number of Christians that believe that in the end everybody is going to be saved whether or not they accept Jesus in this life they believe in the next life they'll have the opportunity to do it and do you know what has happened because of that they have allowed themselves to please the flesh in this life, thinking it has no consequence. They'll get it right in the next life. But let me say this. If you're going to do something like that, you have better make sure that you have clear scripture that says that that's the possibility. And the fact is, there's no clear scripture at all in the Bible that teaches you get a second go around at this. As a matter of fact, the Bible is going to tell you, you don't get a second go around. And there's an urgency now for preachers and the urgency for Christians to tell people it has to be gotten right in this life because there is not a second chance. Amen. There's a preacher, his name is Rob Bell. This is what he says. He's a modern day universalist and I will say his name because I don't want you to read his books. You can go read him, but I've warned you against him. I'll talk to you after. It says, at the heart of this perspective is the belief that given enough time, everybody will turn to God and find themselves in the joy and peace of God's presence. The love of God will melt every hard heart, and even the most depraved sinners will eventually give their resistance and turn to God. No one can resist God's pursuit forever because God's love will eventually melt the hardest of hearts. Notice the pros. Notice it's something you'll see on Instagram. Do you know how many people I have seen post stuff like this? And I think to myself, this is universalist. You're saying that the love of God is eventually going to go after people. What about the other side of God where if you continue to do what he says not to do, it has to judge you. 
What about the Revelation chapter 20, which says that people who are thrown into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels? What about that part? Amen. Well, we don't want to focus on that. If you don't ever mention it, then people will believe this stuff. Amen. Hello, somebody. There is a hell and his mouth is wide open and people are going there every single day because no one wants to tell the truth about it. Well, pastor, tell me something that's going to bless my life. My God, the best blessing you can get in life was when God burdens you for people that are lost. When was the last time? I mean, I know you know people are lost. I know you know it's your obligation to go share the truth. But when was the last time you were so burdened you had to stop what you were doing and pray? Hello, somebody. Universalists suggest that it is not the good news that a literal hell would not be the good news because there's no good news in the literal hell. So there's three different types of universalists. I have to cover this tonight. Is this okay? Amen. Number one is a pluralist. You can write it down. A pluralist are the people that you see every single day you see them. You say, what do I see a pluralist? They don't come tell you at the grocery store. You say, no one's ever come to me at the grocery store and say I'm a pluralist. Has that ever happened to nobody? But you see them parked outside. They're the people that have the bumper sticker on their car that says coexist. How many seen that? Amen. Celebrate diversity. Today we want to celebrate diversity. No, 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 no. You want to celebrate diversity minus Christianity. Right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We want to celebrate diversity, but we don't. Pluralists are the people who have the coexist bumper stickers. These individuals believe that Jesus is just one of many ways and that all religions present equally valid ways of salvation and Christianity is just one of them. So a pluralist is not necessarily even a Christian. They're religious. Your way is the right way, whatever way you want it to be. And the Bible don't teach that. Number two, there is a hopeful universalist. A hopeful universalist is a Christian who believes that Christ is the only way to God. So you say, well, that's a good start. It's a good start. But they hold out on the hope that God will save everyone through Christ in the end. And they find biblical support for this after they twist the scriptures. And number three, there is a dogmatic universalist. And these believe that not only is Christ the only way to God, they say that the Bible teaches all will be saved and that this is the most probable view. They're absolutely convinced of it. And they believe that Christian uh, people are saved by grace and through faith, but they also believe that there will be many chances after death. Now listen, before you listen to a preacher today, I'm telling you this now. Before you listen to someone is saying about salvation, make sure you understand what exactly they believe about the eternal destinies of people. You know what I do when someone tells me about a ministry? I'll tell you the very first thing I do. I go to the website and I look up not about their CDs, not about one sermon. I look at their core views and beliefs. And I'm going to tell you this now. Go to a ministry. Go to 10 different ministries today. Look up their beliefs. Most websites don't even have them. They don't want to put their doctrinal statement on there. Or do you know what they have done? They condense them into three or four good sounding points. You know why I have membership class? 
I want you to understand everything that we preach. I am very open about what we believe in this church. If you go on our website, you will see the 14th leg of our doctrine, and that is there is eternal hell fire that people that reject Jesus will have to live in forever, a conscious state of eternal torment. And do you want to know that most websites don't put that? It's too candid. Hello, somebody. You've got to find out the truth. So if you're writing notes, I want you to take this down. I want you to understand a universalist argument. Can we get, is this okay for you guys tonight? Come on, let me, someone take a deep breath right now. Say it's going to be okay. It, it was the last time. It's been a while since you heard a message on hell. Amen. Go on, quickly. Be seated. Be seated. Be seated. Be seated. Go with me to Revelation chapter 21. Now listen to me. I can see why people might want to be universalists. But you cannot go in the Bible and believe what you want to believe. You have to believe what the Bible says despite how you feel about it. Amen. Hello, somebody. Universalists misinterpret scripture. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 25. It says, Once they have been purified in the lake of fire, those most vile men, it says, will be free to enter into the new... Okay, this is what one of the universalists say. One of the universalists says this. Let me read uh, Revelation 21. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter in the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Because this verse says that the gates remain open, universalists take this to say that gates will remain open for eternity, and when people have been purified by the lake of fire, they will come through those gates. But there's a major problem with this. And that is, number one, the Bible doesn't teach that the lake of fire purifies people from their sin. The Bible teaches the only thing that can purify people from their sin is receiving the blood and the death Amen. of the Lord Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. Amen. The Bible doesn't teach that the lake of fire is a purification process. The Bible teaches that the lake of fire is punishment. And do you know that universalists also believe that even the devil and his rebellious angels are going to be saved? So, look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22. Just as everyone dies, we all belong to Adam. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. The universalist people here say that all people will be reconciled to God in the full redemptive sense. But listen, just like everybody died in Adam, they believe everybody, because of Christ's sacrifice, is going to be made alive. But it doesn't say that. It says in 1 Corinthians, the next verse says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then then at his coming, those who belong to Jesus. Amen. In order to be saved from hell, you have got to belong to Jesus. Amen. What does it mean to belong to Jesus? You know, my fourth book, I'm going to write about that because I see that there is, see, one of the things is when you have the opportunity to study what historical Christianity has looked like for the last... See, this is what the problem is when I... This is why I recommend people take Bible classes. This is why when our church continues to grow, as it continues to grow, I'm going to bring people in not to just preach to you on a Sunday morning and get an amen. I want to bring people to teach weeks of classes. Because we see the last hundred years of Christianity pretty clearly. 
We see it at Azusa Street, 1906, all the way up into now. We see the 70s. On the 70s, you had the, 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 the 50s, you had the voice of healing. The 1960s, you had a little bit more of the voice of healing. Or Roberts came out of the scenes. The 70s, you had the healing ministry. The 80s, you had the word of faith come in. The 90s, you had the teaching ministry come in. And, and the prosperity movement come in. And now in the 2000s, you started seeing the bless me message and the blessing of God. And now you, you kind of see a mix of it all. You now have people that, that become the positive message. This has only been 100 years of Christianity. What were people doing for the last 2,000 years? And what did a Christian look like back then versus how a Christian looks like right now? Can I get an amen, somebody? And what does it mean to belong to Christ? Belonging to Christ is something that is... Are you with me tonight? Belonging to Christ is when somebody has pledged their life to Christ and it includes renouncing what you were part of in the past with the power of the Holy Spirit that you are not going back into that thing. You're saying, God, I have pledged myself to you. And listen, you write this down. One of the marks of a Christian, someone who has a life committed to God, is that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life causing you to be an overcomer. Amen. No, 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 watch this. If you're not overcoming, now listen, listen. If you're not overcoming, if you're not overcoming, there's evidence the Holy Ghost is not in you. You fall to sin one time, get back up. You fall to sin a hundred times, get saved. Hello, somebody. Can I hear amen? amen? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. We like to say that verse sometimes. What does it really mean? Okay, let's go here. Write this down if you're taking notes. Revelation puts an eternal separation between believers and unbelievers. It says here in Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those. Someone say, blessed are those. Blessed are those. Who wash their robes. No, it doesn't say that. It says, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter by the city gates. Do you know the gates that are open, that the universalists say just anybody come in? It requires you to have white robes. It means that you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. It says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves the practices of falsehood. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But understand right now, there is a separation between the believers and the unbelievers. And we have to understand that today, there is no possibility for light to coexist with darkness. No possibility for Christ to coexist with Beelzebub. No possibility. And because of that, we have to understand that the world needs Jesus. Amen. It's okay for you tonight. Yes. Am I coming at you too heavy? No. I promise you, after service, there's candy in my office. I'll cheer you up, <laughs> I'll cheer you up with a, a gumdrop. Wow. Hallelujah. Someone take a deep breath. Okay, go with me with your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, verse 25. Tim, are you going to be okay? Yeah. I'm blessed and highly favored, Chris. Thank you. Luke 13, verse 25. 
when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside, this is what Jesus says, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he'll answer, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. But he will say, I tell you, I did not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out. This scripture right here. This scripture right here. The disciples came to Jesus and they wanted to know how many people were going to be saved. Now I believe that it is the will of God, the desire of God, that all men will be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Amen? But interestingly enough, Jesus said himself that few people would be saved. We got to get away from this mentality. That Jesus loses if more people go to hell than go to heaven. Because this is not a contest. Nowhere in the Bible is Jesus competing to have more followers than the devil. The Bible in the objective is that God would come and begin to piece back and put back together this broken and fallen world. The kingdom of God I've shared in my series on the kingdom of God is what God is doing to restore the earth through the person and God of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom of God. When you see a healing, that's God working to put back this restoration and order to this fallen society. When you see a demon cast out, that's God working to bring the kingdom to the earth. When you see God blessing somebody and favoring somebody, that is God behind the scenes working to bring order back to this fallen earth. Amen, somebody. This is all about God working behind the scenes through Jesus Christ. It's not about how many people go to heaven. That's not the contest. That's not what makes God a winner. God's already won the battle. He sent Jesus. Amen, Amen somebody. But they're saying here that people will come to God and say, God, Jesus, open the door to us. If there was a second chance, Jesus would have told the story and would have said, the master at the door would say, come on in. Where you been? Where you been? Come on in. But Jesus doesn't say that. The Bible said that Jesus looked and said, Depart from me. You know what that means? And turn you away. Thank you. Both you guys get suckers afterwards. Amen. <laughs> it means this that Jesus has to close the door and watch you walk away. That means that there is no second chance. And that's why Jesus said to get it right now. That means we have to preach to people. Get it right now. In other words, if you think there's a second chance, you will never take this chance seriously. Are you taking your chance seriously? Come on, raise your hand if you're taking it seriously. Go with me to Matthew chapter 25. I want to answer in just the 15 minutes that I have. We'll pick up next week. What is hell? You know, there's some people that don't believe in a literal hell. They believe that hell is what you've created for yourself on the earth. 
you take drugs, now you're a crackhead, and your life is bad, and therefore that's your hell. Is the Bible just teach that? Or the Bible teach that hell is a very real place? It says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This is the definition of hell, church. Hell is the place of eternal exile and eternal consciousness where the ungodly will experience God's righteous retribution against sin forever. Now this will blow your mind, what I'm about to share with you. Jesus said more about hell than he did about heaven and love. Isn't that amazing? I believe in the love of God. We preach the love of God. We demonstrate the love of God. Not just to us, but also the world. But I'll tell you this. Jesus was trying to communicate a message to the lost and to the world. And here's the thing. If you cannot believe and trust what Jesus said about hell, how can you trust what he said about heaven and love? And if Jesus was only interested in grace and blessing, then why did he talk about the end judgment so much? Aren't you a person that talks about what's on your mind? Hello, somebody? And therefore, if Jesus is concerned about hell, do you know what that means, Tim? It means that we need to be concerned about hell. Can I get an Amen. Jesus also said that hell was a real place. And Jesus said, not only is hell a real place, hell is a place of never-ending punishment. And you know what that means? Torture all day. Exactly, exactly. And you know what that means? You don't want to go there. You want to do everything in your power to get there. Go with me to Luke chapter 16 and verse 22. You want to do everything in your power to keep from going there. Look what it says here. Luke 16, verse 22 to 24. It says this. Finally, let's see here. Hold on, hold on. That's not the right verse. I gave you the wrong verse. Someone say, I'm, we'll forgive you, Pastor. <laughs> Boy, I... Let's see here. Where am I at? Okay, go with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29. That's where I tell you to go. Matthew 5 and verse 29. This is what Jesus said. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. How many have heard that verse before? All right. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you tonight. I'm going to give it to you 15 minutes before we end. Are you ready for this? It's better for you to give up and lose things on this earth so you don't inherit hell. Amen. That's what Jesus was saying. Where I was at this week. People were not denying themselves anything. 
they were taking everything they wanted, everything that pleased their flesh, everything that they want. Do you know what hell is going to be full of? People that refuse to say no to sin. When people say, I'll take some of that, I'll take some of that, they don't know how to turn down temptation, they know how to deny their flesh. Do you know what that's saying? Your life is headed for hell. Because you didn't know how to say no. You didn't know how to say yes to Jesus. And when God calls you to do something, it requires sacrifice. We think so many times that coming to Jesus is going to be easy. Sometimes people come to Jesus and say, God, I'll give you my life. They expect it to be better. Jesus hands them a cross and says, carry it now. Carrying the cross means you have to forgive your loved ones. you got to give along with loved ones. You know, God convicted me when I started traveling the world. You know, he told me. He says, don't go around the world thinking that loving a bunch of strangers is going to get you off the hook from loving your family. And a lot of times people love to help nebulous faces because they have no issues with those nebulous faces. And God didn't call you to love everybody. You don't know everybody. God told you to love your neighbor. That means the person that you live next door to. Because your neighbor is the person you got issues with. Your neighbor is your husband. Your neighbor is your wife. Your neighbor is your friends. Your neighbor is the people that you have for friends on Facebook. These are the people that you have to perfect your love with. Amen. You could walk up to God and say, but God, I went and cast devils out. And God says, but you didn't know those people. You didn't have to walk in love with the people you cast the devils out of. You went and did a healing service and got 75 people healed. But I ne- you didn't have to walk in love with those people because they weren't in your world. But your family, you refused to forgive them. You held on to bitterness against them. The people at your job, you were racist against them. Those people that were in your world, you did not demonstrate and carry your cross with those people. How can I ever say, I knew you? What about the people that are closest to us? Hallelujah. Come on, someone say amen. Amen. Jesus was not telling you. Some people, this verse is not literal in the sense that God expects you to cut your hand off if you're stealing with it. Or cut your eye out because you look at something in a dirty or lustful way. Jesus was using hyperbole to tell you that you must do everything in your life to resist sin because sin leads to death and death leads to hell. Now watch this. There is a famous athlete who is in the hospital right now fighting for his life. How many heard the story this week? Famous athlete dating a famous person. Needed to get away from life. Didn't go run into the church. And I heard the story at 4 o'clock in the morning yesterday. And my heart broke. Because I will tell you that what he did was, he left where he was, he went to a brothel, he got crack cocaine, and he just partied for three days. Until he was taking uppers and downers. When you take uppers and downers, it's called speedballing. And what it does is you asphyxiate yourself. Because your heart cannot take it, and he gave himself a stroke. And the blood stopped going to his brain. And I remember sitting there, And I was devastated because I thought to myself, he probably was hurting very bad on the inside. For somebody to go use that much drugs and to get away, you just don't do that when life is good. You go do that when life is bad. You're in a depression, you run to drugs. And the thing that made me hurt the most, I had compassion on him. I'm not trying to condemn him. If I could, I'd get him up off that bed. 
and say, Jesus wants to help you. And I have been praying for him, as a matter of fact. I don't just pray for every celebrity that does that. I don't, you know, we can't pray for everybody like that. But I've been feeling like I need to pray for him, saying, God, help him. God, help him. Because I believe in my heart he's hurting. And I hope Jesus gets to him and touches him. But you know what I thought today? When I was praying, this he has ended up exactly where all the other sin in the past has brought people, death. You do what God tells you not to do. You keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. It's going to bring death. Amen. And death is going to bring hell. And I'm not condemning people and saying, well, you're going to hell. I don't want anybody going to hell. I, I, reading books on hell, preaching messages on hell, I don't enjoy it. Because we're talking about people's eternities and their destinies going in the wrong direction. Can I get amen, someone? Hallelujah. Now, this is interesting. The word hell has its own origin in Scripture. Are you guys here with me tonight? Hell is a literal place, but it came to mean a place of judgment. Before hell became idiomatic for a place of judgment, Gehenna is the Greek word for hell, and it's the word that Jesus most often used, and it was a word that was previously, before it was used as a place of judgment, was used... To describe a garbage dump in the valley of Hinnom just outside of Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting to find that Gehenna was the local garbage dump that smoldered constantly as garbage from the city was dumped in that place. Can you picture this? You ever gone past a garbage dump? You ever gone past a nasty smelling dumpster? In the summertime where I live, I live by a lake, there's a dumpster there and it gets full very fast. And if you walk by it and it hasn't been and it's hot outside, you get within 20 feet of it and it reeks. I go to the other side of the street. It is the worst smelling thing you have ever smelled in your life. Have you ever smelled something that bad? I was talking to a butcher one time. And this butcher was telling me that they used to have to wear masks when they would cut the meat and put all the waste down on the side. Because if you didn't have a mask on, you would vomit. And this place that Jesus was talking about as Gehenna was a place that constantly was breeding worms that were there, maggots. And do you know what a maggot is? It is the egg or it is the offspring of a fly. And a maggot is going to turn into a fly. That's why there's so much fly around trash because that's where flies leave their eggs in a place that's dark and moist. And the word garbage dump became an analogy for the place of judgment for the wicked. Gehenna was a repugnant place that was filled with cadavers of the wicked. People didn't have money to bury their loved ones at that time. So you know what they would do? They would take their carcass and they would put it in the dumpster. Now they would do it. This isn't, they, they didn't have funeral practices and embalming fluid back then. This, was, this is back then. They would take it and throw it. Can you picture what this place was like? And this became known for the place where the wicked would be judged. Back in the Old Testament, the garbage dump was in the Hinnom Valley, and this was the place where idolatrous worship of the Canaanite gods Moloch and Baal was done, and where there were child sacrifices made. Now let me tell you this. 
How many get a pretty picture of this place, how bad it stinks? Mm. Have you ever noticed that when you go to a city and the region or quarter of the city where there's prostitution, homosexuality, gay bars, voodoo, witchcraft, does it smell nice or does it smell nasty? I remember one of the cities I, well, I was in college at one city, and every time you get to the sexually perverted part of town, it stunk. It reeked. You get around somebody that is in sin and their life is covered in sin. Their life reeks. And this is why Jesus picked this word to describe the place of judgment. Hello, somebody. You say, why did he pick this place? Because this is where the place of judgment is going to be. By Jeremiah's time, the Hinnom Valley became the place where the bodies of the wicked were cast. And this is what it says. Uh, go with me to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Revelation 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So you see right now what John is talking about. That Jesus was very meticulous to talk about the place where the wicked will be judged. The place of judgment for the wicked, the most graphic description that Jesus could use to pick or describe it in your mind, was the place of repute. It is not some place you want to be. And that's why Jesus said, if you have to, cut your hand off. If gouging out your eye is what it takes, it's worth going without so you don't have to spend eternity in a place that is this awful and this terrible. Can someone say amen? Amen. Now let me say this and I'm going to close. This is why when people ask me, do you celebrate Halloween? I say no. Amen. Amen. But it's fun. Listen, I can have fun by going to the mall and getting a Slurpee. I don't have to celebrate Halloween. Because Christians do not celebrate death. You can have a fall party. How about that? But hanging up skeletons... And putting zombies with worms coming out of their face. Talking about Dracula and Frankenstein. These are images of death. And do you know every culture has their own way of celebrating death? And if you say, well, I remember so we were talking about the Day of the Dead. Someone said to me, what well, do you don't like the Day of the Dead? I said, I don't celebrate the Day of the Dead. I celebrate the resurrection of the life. Amen. You can't celebrate death and life at the same time. They said, what did they have the dead? Do you not know? It's when the, 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 the Spanish, they celebrate the, the dead soldiers that they had. And they celebrate. And do you know what they do? do you know? I said, do you know what they do for it? They said, what? I said, they go to the graves. They call up the dead. They want to. And it's more than honoring the dead. We do that on Memorial Day. We celebrate the fallen soldiers in an honorable way. We don't call up their spirits. We don't hang dead skulls. We do it the right way. Because this country was Christian when it was founded. 
We do it in an honorable way. We remember the lives. We think 9-11, we do the same thing. We never forget. We keep it as a memory of the people that lost their lives and going forward. But you know what we don't do? We don't get to the spiritual side of things and put death all over our walls. Do you know why? Because when Jesus saves you, he puts life inside of your heart. My mind is focused on life. I'm thinking about life. I wake up in the morning. I say, God, I've I passed through death. I'm full of the light and the life of Christ. I got Jesus in my heart. Hallelujah, somebody. When I see a skeleton, I despise it. I say, Jesus has put it under my feet. When I see a Dracula and he's trying to suck people's blood, I say, Jesus has put it under his feet. When I see zombies walking on shows like The Walking Dead, I say, Jesus has defeated it. There's no need for us to celebrate something that sick. And do you know what has happened to a society that has been celebrating death through the television shows? It is now becoming weak because our minds are fixated on it. Amen, Amen somebody. Amen. You know how you know you've passed from death unto life? is when you start wanting to celebrate and love life. Amen. When I see people, a way a person dresses tells you a lot about that person. What you see on the outside is a reflection of what is in the inside. When I see people putting skulls all over their arm, the first question I ask is, why do you identify with a skull? What on the inside of you makes you want a skull and makes you want a snake going through that skull? What is it on the inside that you want that? You don't want life. Amen. When I see people, they just want to dress gothic all the time. Just dress in black and put skull. Why do you want to dress in black like that? Why do you want to paint your fingernails black? I don't mean just paint them one time. I mean you have a habit. I like to wear black sometimes. I like to come in wearing a, you know, black, uh, uh, overcoat, not a like trend, a black overcoat and just looking sharp. I don't mean wear it one time in a fashion. You know what I'm talking about. You just cover it in black every day, all day. Why do you identify with black? tells me that there's some death going on inside of you and you need to get delivered from it. Wow. Amen, somebody. Amen. Did you enjoy it tonight? Yes. I mean to leave you on a down note. Let me give you this up note. Jesus defeated hell. Amen. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly, so make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to The Light of Today with Chris Palmer.